Well, thank you for um, inviting me here today. It's my first time speaking here in Redwood City. Um, I've been giving a series of talks in, in Santa Cruz on, on working with the difficult emotions, or what they're called kleshas in Buddhism, and also with the source, the out, outward source of many of our difficult emotions, difficult people. So I'm going to continue that here this morning, and um, let's, the title of my talk is Difficult People as Our Teachers. Um, I often have uh, secondary titles for my talk, so my other title is Who is Your Bengali Tea Boy? And you will, if you don't know what that means now, you will by the, the end of the talk. Really, the premise of, of my talks on difficult emotions and difficult people is really about the underlying principle. It's really about uh, no longer resisting difficulty in our life. It doesn't mean liking difficulty in our life, but no longer resisting it and resisting what's difficult, what's unpleasant, which that which we wish wasn't here, and beginning to see it as something that's being offered to us because simply it is here. And that whatever comes up, whatever is happening in the moment, is really an opportunity for deepening our wisdom and our compassion. And that if we, re- if we totally embrace that, if we uh, allow ourselves to begin to let go of uh, all of our resistance and thinking it shouldn't be happening to us, and why me, and, and um, how can I escape from this, our practice will... When we give that up, our practice can can deepen very rapidly and can expand very rapidly. Um, I also think of of teaching life teachings as I, I call them front door teachings and back door teachings. And front door teachings or front door lessons are are things that happen to us that are direct. You know, like for example, we we meet someone who's very kind and generous and helpful and and from their example, we learn how to be kind and generous and helpful. And it's a very, um, very straightforward kind of teaching. And then there's what are called the I call the backdoor teachings, which I don't know about you, but in my life it seems like there's been an overabundance of backdoor teachings and not as many front doors I would like. And the backdoor teachings are really when we're given things that are difficult. Are are um, you know we meet someone that's that's really hard, and we and we we wish they weren't in our life, and and we from that experience begrudgingly often <laughs> we we learn something quite important about ourselves or about how we live our life, and they're often more difficult to to deal not just the person but just just taking on the teaching. And, and really being willing to go through with it to find out what's it, what, what gem and gift is at the end. Um, and difficult people, I think of as falling into three categories. There may be other categories, but you might be able to come up with. Um, one is, is what I call difficult people from the past. In situations perhaps we had in childhood or in just things that are no longer happening in our life, 
but still affect us in some way. Still, we still remember them with some vividness and they still have some impact on us. And that person may still be in our life, but no longer difficult. And yet the difficulty remains in, in our mind or in our experience or in our conditioning. Um, or they may be dead or they just may be absent from our life. The second type of difficult person um, is someone that is present and known to us. And this is actually the category I'm speaking to um, primarily today. And they may be a family member. They may be an ex of some kind. They may be an in-law. They may be somebody at work. They may be a neighbor. Often the difficult people, the most difficult are people we haven't chosen in the sense that they're in our lives and there's not an easy way way out, such as a family member or a landlord. And um, they may be in our lives a lot or just a little, but can can be a very, um, take up a lot of our attention and our energy. And the, the third kind of difficult person is also in the present, but is someone that's not known to us directly. And um, that could be a lot of different people. It could be certain, say, presidents. Um, <laughs> it could be various other, other people who have influence in our culture, but we, we don't have a personal relationship with them. So as I said, I'm primarily going to be speaking to the second category of known people in our lives, but these principles could apply in the other situations too. Um, There's also, I would say, two two levels of of having to deal with the so-called difficult people. And I'm saying so-called because that is our judgment or our interpretation or our label. That person may not have that label themselves, and our other people may not label them that way, but to us, that's, that's how we see it. But the, the first level is, is certainly is dealing with the elder, elder situation that you're in. And I just want to mention that, that there may be, because um, of the other things I'm going to say, um, I don't want to dismiss it. There may be very important ways you need to intervene, things you need to do, um, ways you may need to change the situation. And it's particularly if it's a situation where the person is being, uh, is, is harmful or even violent, um, there may be a lot of things that need to be done. But the second level is really what I'm speaking about here and, and really what Buddhism and meditation and mindfulness address, which is, is um, dealing with our own inner reactions to that person and our own inner interpretations. Um, The whole um, uh, creation of story and um, the whole series of things that we do, behaviors and so forth related to it. So when we come up against one of our difficult people, we come up against our own personal edges. We come up against our stuff. We come up against all our buttons. Our buttons get pushed. So this is a, um, a profound area of, of, of learning, of seeing ourselves. We see how we perhaps obsess on the situation. And so it reveals all the places we're stuck, where we hold on, where we hold grudges, 
where we have thoughts of um, retribution or revenge, where we are stingy with our compassion and our kindness and our understanding, where we identify perhaps with our own view and opinion and our own self. So um, that's just a small range of the possible um, things that can be revealed about ourselves in these situations. And I'm guessing all of you uh, have these situations and have begun to see yourself in light of them. So working with difficult people has a long history in, in Buddhism. And it comes up in a, a variety of different different ways, sometimes in the stories in the suttas themselves and often in the practices. Uh, certainly, many of you be familiar with the Brahma-viharas, the loving-kindness and compassion practices, and, and that traditionally these are used with uh, five different categories of people. And one category, often people's most challenging category, is the category of the difficult person, or sometimes called traditionally called the enemy, who, who people who re- represent being an enemy in our life. Um, Another well-known story in Buddhism, which is one that Pema Chodron often uses, so some of you may be familiar with that if you've read her stuff, which is a story of Atisha. Atisha was a great Indian uh, spiritual teacher around 900 to 1000 AD. And he was the, the first, um, first person who brought the Buddhist teachings to Tibet. Uh, he, when he was asked to come to Tibet, he, um, he got worried. He, he finally accepted the invitation, but he was worried because he had heard that the Tibetans were such friendly and kind and warm people that there would be nothing there to challenge him, to challenge him in his compassion. It was actually the whole teachings of compassion that brought him to Buddhism. And he thought there'd be no one there to provoke him, no one there to, to push him up against what was uh, he, his, his own, um, what he didn't see, the places where he, he was still stuck in his own, own holding back and his own um, inabilities to, to extend compassion. So um, he decided that to remedy this, Situation that he was going to bring along with him his Bengali tea boy, who was reputed to be surly, ill-tempered, ill-mannered, sulky, um, just a very unpleasant person to be around. So indeed, he did take this person with him because he felt that having this person along with him would keep him spiritually awake, keep him spiritually active on his path. To, to, to make sure that he wasn't getting slack in his ability to extend and feel compassion. Um, as the story goes, um, he found out that it wasn't actually necessary because all Tibetans turned out they weren't also nice and warm and there was actually difficult people there as well. So this is, is a quote from Pema Chodron. In our lives, the Bengali tea boys are the people who, when you let them through your front door of your metaphorical house, go right down to the basement where you store lots of things you'd rather not deal with, 
pick out one of them, bring it up to you and say, is this yours? (laughs) So I ask you, who is your Bengali tea boy or tea boys? (laughs) And what stuff are they bringing up inside you for you to look at? I have a number of friends who are familiar with this story, and you know, someday, sometimes they'll call me up and say, oh, no, I got another Bengali tea boy, and, and tell me the story of it. Or, so, um, so again, this is your chance, like a Tisha, to be challenged, to see yourself, to see all the, the inner places that, um, that are, are needing more attention to see the places where we, as I said before, hold back in our compassion and understanding. So I have a couple of suggestions and and how to work with this. There's many more than what I'm going to say right now, but this will at least be a start. One of the first ones is, in, in when you have a difficult person in your life, is getting past blame, the blame game. And in Buddhism, too, they talk a lot about the getting caught by blame, praise and blame. And um, certainly the blame piece comes up a lot when we're working with difficult people. It's a very conditioned for many of us and and very habitual and very um, sometimes satisfying, in a way, um, game to play. I recently was talking to a friend who had split up with her partner. And even though she kind of knew better, um, she, she found herself really, really falling into who's to blame, who's to blame, and, and going on these sort of tirades of why the other person was to blame and what they did and why they were wrong and how they thought about it. And, and then she would switch, and this is often what we do, to self-blame. So one time I talked to her, she was blaming the other person and elaborating all the, building the case, as I like to say, building the case of why that person was wrong and uh, why she was right. And then the next time I talked to her and she would be listing all the ways that she was wrong and at fault and had caused the split up. Um, really, that's an endless cycle that we can get into and, and in the end doesn't really further our, our wisdom or our understanding or our ability to really open and see what's really happening, to see what the real truth is in the situation. Whatever is happening in life is, is much more complex and is much more um, inner, interwoven and interconnected and than any kind of story that we build. This is a place where it's very important to see our stories that we have and we tend to create the same story over and over again even though the characters may change. And you know, blame is a chance to feel um, right when we're on that side anyway. Self-righteousness, I'm right. And as I said, there's a certain satisfactoriness in that, but it's very shallow and short-lived. And, and right below the surface of that is it does switch into self-blame. And we often use blame as a way to protect ourselves, in a sense, to, to build a barrier to... Um, to hide a bit, perhaps, from our own, seeing our own 
weaknesses or our own mistakes or the um, just to deal with the complexity of the situation. Perhaps it's a way to protect us from feeling our hurt or our grief in the situation. So when we begin to place down the game blame, when we give it up, we actually begin to soften the possibility to soften to ourselves and to the other person um, begins to to happen. And um, there, there really can be a shift in our whole perspective. And one thing to do when we find... Well, first of all, it's, it's to recognize that we're in, into the blaming thing. And then secondly, it's to, to really... Um, attend to and be very mindful of how does it actually feel? How does it feel to be blaming? And even right now, as I say this, perhaps you have a a situation where you're uh, prone to blaming. And and just notice how how it actually feels, the the tension in it, the contraction, the... the, um, the closing out and the closing down that comes with blame. And I, this is just a quick comment, but I also want to add, when you let go of blame, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not saying that the other person, what they're doing is okay. Because <laughs> people may be doing very harmful and unskillful um, things. They may be, may be all those things. You know, we may think that they're arrogant and self-centered and so forth, and they may very well be. But that's different than, than this, this active um, condemning that comes with blame. Um, so to elaborate on this a little bit about seeing, seeing, noticing when we're blaming is it's also just to notice when you're with or even just thinking about this difficult person. Perhaps you run the story around in your head. Perhaps they're there right in front of you or on the phone. Um, is, to, is, to, is to make a commitment to see what arises. To, to see what arises within me as it arises, as something that is arising, as a temporary emotional reactive state that's arising. As opposed to, again, jumping right into the story, reacting from the storyline, whatever that is for you. Um, the Dalai Lama was once asked whether he ever got angry. And um, it was reported that he answered with kind of a, a laugh in that it, it, as if he, someone had asked him whether he ever got hungry or thirsty. <laughs> and he said, of course, if something happens and I don't like it, if it's not what I want to have happen, anger arises. So the more in our practice, in our formal meditation practice, as well as in life, if, we're, if we can have this sense of, um, oh, that's arising now, and that's mine. It's not theirs. It's not their fault. This is mine, and can I see into it? Can I understand it? Can I have compassion? Can I have insight around it? What is it telling me about the situation or about myself? And when, when whatever arises, does arise, it is, lear- and this is the foundation of mindfulness, is learning 
to not feed it or repress it. And this is that edge, this beautiful, wonderful razor's edge of awareness of never, of not feeding it. In other words, sort of inflating it and exaggerating it and, and um, holding on to it or amplifying it or trying, trying hard not to let it go. Or the other side of, of, oh, I don't like that. I shouldn't be feeling that. I'm a meditator and I don't get angry. Um, whatever it is that, um, you know, it's not appropriate for me to feel revenge. <laughs> uh, so I won't. And then you just stuff it. It's, I'm afraid it's still there. <laughs> when we repress, things are still there. There is a, you may have heard that there is a, a psychotherapy adage, which is what we what we resist persists. <laughs> um, so it's learning that beautiful, as I said, razor's edge of awareness, of being with what is as it is, without react. It's like learning to not react to your reactivity. <laughs> and then the next step is is to um, to tor- turn toward it. Um, Turn toward your reactions and get curious. Get curious about your fears. Get curious about your, um, particularly the difficult and unpleasant emotions and reactions we have. And really look deeply into, not so much analytically, but this is what investigating in the moment, what is causing it? You know, what am I really reacting to? What am I really afraid of? Because often it's not the surface thing that we see or the surface story. In what way, perhaps, do I feel disrespected in this situation? And then owning that for yourself. You know, what is, I, I have a charge here. What's, what is this charge? And owning that as well. I have a thing I sort of say to myself, Sometimes in these situations, which is um, particularly when I'm somewhere and suddenly something gets triggered, you know, some I feel really annoyed and irritated at someone. And uh, inwardly, I, I, what I say to myself is, um, wow, that's interesting. Just a simple, wow, that's interesting. And what that does for me is it both gives a little distance, a kind of observing this is going on, this is arising. But it's also bringing me closer to it in the sense of being interested in it, that it's revealing something to me. And certainly, um, after sort of seeing what arises and, and perhaps turning towards it and exploring your own all your many places where you get to see see the um, the places we maybe don't like to see in ourselves. That it it the next step is perhaps bringing patience and compassion, or developing patience and compassion. It's certainly, um, if nothing else, difficult people can help us learn to develop a kind of 
open tolerance of um, of what's happening, and then then the next step is is perhaps uh, an open patient tolerance. I guess I would say the next step is to actually allow compassion to arise or find find what compassion is possible in the situation for both yourself and for the other person. To see the suffering of your own reaction and to see the suffering that's in their situation in, in how they are living their lives. And there's, you know, one thing is always useful to reflect on, too, is that probably at some point, at some time, you are somebody else's difficult person. <laughs> and um, to, to just uh, take that into account and sort of have compassion for all difficult people, including yourself. People when they're in their difficult person phase or behavior. There's a, I have a particular difficult person in my life right now who has challenged me in many different ways. And um, again, from my viewpoint, I see them as, as um, kind of narcissistic and um, um, controlling and critical, not qualities I particularly like. <laughs> and the, so two things with that. One is, and it's actually not very hard for me with this person to see the suffering right underneath that that is leading to that behavior. Because this person, um, I can see, you know, all this sort of outward, almost defending how okay they are is just you scratch the surface and there's this deep well of, I, I can see that they don't feel okay about themselves. That they have a lot of self-doubt and a lot of anguish actually. And when you can sort of drop down and see that, even though their behavior can be really hard to deal with, um, it can help, again, just to let you soften, soften with that. And, and then the other piece of that is, I like to think, well, gosh, I'm not like that. At least I'm not like that. <laughs> but, you know, when you look a little a little more deeply, I can find situations where I am like that or where I have the impulse to be like that or where I have in the past behaved in ways that are like that. I don't think actually there's almost any, at least in uh, small ways, any kind of unpleasant or obnoxious or irritating behavior that others do that we haven't at the very least had the impulse to do and probably have done at different times. And again, beginning to really hold us all in the same boat together, the same boat of human, the human condition and the human uh, struggle to find our way out of, these, of this conditioning, of, these, of this suffering. Um, I've also heard it, you know, in one, one also way you can sort of connect with the other person is, you know, is <laughs> at the very least, you know, sometimes I try to find what's the very least I can, I can do here. I can drum up in terms of compassion or kindness. And to think that maybe you spend a few minutes a day with this person, perhaps it's someone at work, 
And then you reflect, you know, they have to spend 24 hours seven with themselves. <laughs> and that might not be so nice. <laughs> and um, to, to different, and whatever ways you can come up to kind of create access, access to a sense of connection, a sense of bond in a way, even when it feels really, really hard. And of course, there is the you know the um, the long established practice of practicing uh, loving kindness and compassion formally for someone else. And of course, I encourage that. But really, what I'm I'm talking about today, I want to encourage more is the sort of informal, um, as Pema Chodron says, on the spot moments where we can check what's going on within ourselves, see how we might how we are responding, see how we might have a have an alternative way of behaving of our attitude towards ourselves or towards the other person. So I think I'll, I'll end here with a, I have a, uh, actually another quote from Pema Chodron. And then, um, and then in the time we have left, there's, there'll be time if people have any thoughts or questions or your own stories or insights you've had along uh, with your difficult people who are your teachers. So, um, so this quote is, if your everyday practice is to open to all your emotions, to all the people you meet, to all the situations you encounter without closing down, trusting that you can do that, then that will take you as far as you can go. And then you'll understand all the teachings that anyone has ever taught. Thank you. Um, so it looks like we have a, a little, about 10 minutes. Do you usually end with a loving kindness kind of? Loving kindness meditation. Yes. No, we don't. Okay. We're, well, I'm we're happy to listen to one if you have one that <laughs> I'll you do would a offer. Short one at the end. But okay. Yeah. And um, I'm going to keep two microphones going around the room. So if everyone would take a moment to pass the mic on to the next person who has a question, so that the questions can all be recorded, and that people who are listening in on the internet can hear the questions, that would be appreciated. This is on the internet? Yes. <laughs> I thought this was enough of a challenge. <laughs> and also it helps the people in the room. Yeah. We're not as technologically advanced in Santa Cruz. <laughs> I guess this is Silicon Valley. <laughs> so so any, any questions, thoughts, comments, sharing? I just wonder if there are anything special to uh, any special considerations if the difficult person is yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for for actually bringing that up because um, when I've talked about this before, other other people have, and and actually I've had someone who you know sort of reflected for a long time and said, really, the only difficult person 
is myself. And in a sense, that's true. In 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 that we're the ones making up the difficulty. when well, the two the two things there is is kind of what I just said is to to begin to see how um, how you in, interpret yourself as being difficult to understand um, uh, to understand your own your own patterns your own conditioning. And to understand it with a lot of love and kindness. The main thing I would say with our um, understanding ourselves as a difficult person is to bring that um, that compassion and and un- and kindness to ourselves, and to hold ourselves with that uh, a profound sense of um, acceptance that we are imperfect, and we are learning, and we won't do things. Um, perfectly ever I mean there actually is no um, there is no possibility of being perfect in this realm because we're always changing we're always moving from um, one moment getting it together and the next moment it's falling apart so um, it's actually I think uh, helpful to if you actually see that you're the person creating the difficulty in your life in a certain sense and then begin to um, bring kindness and compassion to that and a deep insight into to to um, what are the patterns that you get hung up on and how might you begin to to release yourself from those is that helpful or do you want to add some I have a comment yeah. I, I, relating to that, um, one of my friends who she actually records here said she went on a meditation retreat of about five days and she was very new to meditation. And she said that it was like being stuck on the bus sitting next to the most obnoxious person in the whole world <laughs> who just wouldn't shut up. Yeah. And said, which made clear to her that it was, she was a problem. I teach high school and, um, <clears throat> There are opportunities to practice patience there. Uh, I teach in an all-girls high school, so I, I have to think I, I have it a lot easier than than I might. Uh, I really do. I think, uh, and in fact, contrary to what most people think, teenagers can be more reasonable than many adults. Uh, but I find that when I <laughs> tend to look at somebody as obnoxious or, or problem-causing, I I've really found that it's always about some insecurity in me. And generally it'll be, well, I'm not doing it right as a teacher, or I would have some sort of solution or, uh, to that. And and as long as that I have that, I, I'm going to come up against that, that situation. There's going to be one kid that'll that'll trigger that. I'll find her in one of my classes or, or several. And I, I notice that with people who aren't in a spiritual path or even psychological awareness, uh, they'll often leave a situation and they'll loathe and despise their boss or something and then they'll discover that they've found another one that's just like that, exactly the same thing without even knowing that that's the case. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, just to, you know, just to sort of add on to that is, is 
is again this is kind of an, an adage or something that's uh, kind of well known but it's often very true that what we don't like in other people is what we don't like in ourselves and that's what tends to hook us most frequently when there's something in ourselves that's that we don't want to see or feel or acknowledge so and um, there's lots of people that uh, will will trigger that for us Hi, uh, I'm John, and this, this talk to me is actually very timely because I'm starting to, I have a best friend, and so we're not having difficulties, but I'm recognizing more and more as I learn that he's having difficulties, and he's having difficult people in his life, mm-hmm. okay, because I, I hear, because we talk a lot about a lot of you know, close things and things, so we were best friends, and I see him reacting to these people as difficult people, but and I'm starting to recognize. Well, what do I help this? Because he's not in the same place I am. You know, in the same kind of practice. He's spiritual in his way, but he doesn't have the same kind of insight that I do. So I don't know how to, you know, help this or, or to, you know, react to it exactly. It's kind of interesting. So what does it bring up when you see him reacting to difficult people? What is it bringing up in you? Um, I, I see him being incompassionate in some ways, and it makes me want to help him in a way. I want to be compassionate to him and and kind of teach him, if you will, but I don't know how in some ways, you know. Has he indicated he's open to or interested in you helping him? Or? I think so, yeah. I think we've got enough rapport. Yeah, we've got a good rapport that he, if I knew, what to, if I knew how to approach it, you know, yeah. um, he would be very receptive, I think. Well, it's a little hard to answer that, not you know knowing all the details of the sure, situation. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I mean, do you think he would be open to your suggestion that he does he look at his side of it, he look at his reactivity, he look at what he's um, mm-hmm. projecting, perhaps, or he looks at what what it's yeah. bringing up for him yeah. and. You said he has a spiritual path. Yeah, yeah. He, he does his own. He, he kind of goes out in med, not meditation, but he goes and spends time by himself and, you know, contemplating his, his does position. Does he have so. compassion as a, as a value? I think so. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's a, he can, I think he can be a very compassionate, uh, yeah. receptive person. Yeah. So would he be open to, um, I think so. you know, sort of taking kind of what I started the talk mm-hmm. with, with, what, well, gee, how, how can you use this? these situations as a, as yeah. a way to awaken, as yeah. a way to become mm-hmm. more compassionate yeah. instead of just repeating mm-hmm. them over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, think I hear what you're saying. and I, I kind of thought of kind of that direction. It sounds like, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of get, ask him questions, see if he can kind of uh, see what he's doing and what yeah. his, role he's playing and stuff. You know? Yeah. And, and I do want to say, and mm-hmm. I don't know anything yeah, about sure. you or your situation, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's wonderful mm-hmm. that you feel compassionate yeah. and want to help him. And it's also important to remember people don't always receive our help or want it, or exactly, even yes. though they look yes. like they say they do. And I, I understand that. <laughs> I know that exactly. Yes, I know what you mean. So to to yeah. be, you know. I know, and I don't want to be pushing on yeah. it either. I just want to be compassionate yeah. and for them. So. But I think this opening up a conversation about, and maybe even using examples in your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, or how you're even currently working with your oh, yeah. Bengali tea boy. Right, right. right. exactly, yeah. Because I'm, I'm still in a very learning phase, much, much learning here too myself. Yeah, good. Yeah. Behind? Unless you want to go. I was going to go next. Oh, okay. 
I just wanted to say two things. Um, one, one of them is, uh, no, my mind's going blank. Um, one of them is, I guess what I, lately I've noticed that, that I have difficult situations come up and I respond, I guess, quickly, and they're kind of gone, <laughs> you know, as opposed to mulling it over and getting into all the dialogue. And so it seems like I'm more able to just kind of accept that this is on your plate, you need to deal with it, mm-hmm. just do it. You know, and, and it actually works out a lot better than if I, you know, start trying to argue, why is this on my plate and blah, 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 blah. So that's one thing I've noticed. The other thing um, is, I, is I have sometimes been in situations where I realize I'm acting like a jerk, you know, and, and uh, it's very difficult and I think important to be able to stand with myself in that time. You know, say, Karen, things aren't going that well. You're acting like kind of a jerk. And just sort of be be with myself as opposed to abandoning me, yeah. you, you know, which is probably what everyone else is doing. Things. Why won't you shut up? Blah, blah. So, so anyway, I guess those are those are my two comments. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to add a little bit. We do need to stop. Time has passed. Um, uh, but one is when we get when we get past just being reactive, we can be very spontaneously responsive and just deal with things just as they are with immediacy and clarity. And then, like you said, it's gone. We've, we've responded. It's, um, we've come from some kind of clarity and wisdom and compassion, even if it's not the full amount yet. And then we, we aren't um, lost in the whole big drama of it. And, and the other thing you refer to, and, and this is when we, we are a difficult person for ourselves or we're noticing that we're difficult for other people, too, is, is our inner, what I call um, inner right speech or inner wise speech, which is how do we talk to ourselves inwardly and can we be with ourselves and be compassionate and be understanding and be supportive and help guide us through um, all the... Um, um, painful and unpleasant and our own mistakes through that. So that's a whole, actually I'm developing a talk on that, <laughs> sort of the inner wise speech. <laughs> so um, we need to end, but I just wonder if there's one, one person who's dying to ask or say something, because there were a couple other hands up. Or can you let it pass? I'll be here for a few minutes if you want to talk to me. Um, okay, okay. Thank you all. Thanks for those great comments. And um, so I'm just going to do a, a little very short loving kindness and dedication just, just to end. Um, so just take a moment to kind of to soften and relax into your heart or into your that uh, sense, whatever sense of kindness or tenderness or well-wishing or goodwill or warmth or friendliness that you can muster right now. It doesn't have to be very big. Just a small, small sense of friendliness or warmth will do. And then let us just extend love and kindness, this well-wishing, this tenderness of the heart towards suffering to all beings who have difficulty, who have been difficult themselves, who 
are difficult within and with others. And so this, this definition, I think, includes us all. So let us hold all of us, let us connect to the whole human race that is struggling individually and socially and globally right now with so much difficulty and difficult behavior and reactions. And let us extend kindness and well-wishing and hope. Hope for the freedom, hope for the happiness, hope for the peacefulness among all beings. And let us gather up all our insights, all our positive energies, all our merit, everything that coming together today and in our practices individually, everything that has been um, developed, everything that has come to fruition. And let us share that with all beings everywhere so that all beings may be free, so that all beings may be happy, so that all beings know the peace of the Buddha. Thank you.